0: Lord, speak to us, amen? The book of Exodus, chapter 27. If you're a guest here today, thank you for being with us. Thank you for choosing to worship Him with us. It's an honor to worship together, and we're honored that you're here. We pray that the Spirit of the Lord and the Word of the Lord would speak to your life. Exodus 27 and verse 20. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil olive beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. Everybody say pure oil olive. Beaten for the light. Got it? All right, go with me. Flip over there to the book of Leviticus. Chapter 24. Leviticus 24, verse number 2. It says this. Command the children of Israel that they bring unto you pure oil olive beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. Everybody say, cause the lamps to burn continually. Amen. I can hear the wheels turning already in some of your heads. Aren't we amazing creatures? We try to figure out. Okay, what's this? Would you pray with me right now? Would you ask God to talk with us the way he wants to this morning? Lord Jesus Christ, we can do nothing without you. We're dependent on you. Your word is already anointed. I ask you by your great grace and power. I ask you, Lord, to anoint these lips of clay that your word would not be tainted by my humanity. I pray anoint ears to hear and our hearts to receive. We need to hear from you, Lord. I pray give us wisdom and understanding by the living word of God today. I open my spirit to you for what you would do. I pray let the rhema of God speak with us, living word, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Praise God. It's an interesting passage of Scripture. We don't have time today, and so we're not going to take it. Uh, Many of you know my affection for the tabernacle and the study of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus that we read, the pattern of the tabernacle and how it points to the way Christ approaches us, and then how we can approach Christ, the pattern of salvation through the tabernacle plan and why it was so important. Again, we don't have time to walk through that today. I think it's important that everybody understand the tabernacle plan and its application And if you'd like to, uh, we can plug you into a Bible study on that, or I think we've even got one that we've taught and it's recorded. We can send you the YouTube link. But you should understand the pattern of the tabernacle and God's approach to man and man's approach to God. And it's very powerful and it's life altering and it gives great revelation of the love that God has for us and how far back it was part of his plan. But again, we don't have time to walk through all of it today. And so. We have the tabernacle, and where we read in Exodus and in Leviticus, we find that the Lord is giving Moses instruction for the people regarding the tabernacle. They've already come through all of the furniture of the tabernacle and all of the hangings. If you read in Exodus, by the time you get to chapter 27, they've already gotten all the instructions for the building of the Ark of the Covenant and the table of showbread and the candlesticks and the... Altar of incense and the brazen laver and the altar of sacrifice. You've, you've already got all of that laid out. You've already got everything laid out for all the curtains and the hangings and the veil and the, all of that's laid out clearly by the time you get to Exodus 27. And so this is all done, and we're, we find that we're at this place, at the point of the tabernacle where it's, it's time that now that we've built everything and it's being assembled, we're coming to the point where. We're getting ready to institute its purpose. Not enough to just build it. It has to be used. It's meant to be used. It has a purpose. It has a function. But until this point, it hasn't been used. It's just been getting set up and prepared. But now we're getting ready. And that's where we find this verse that we read in chapter 27, verse 20. And then in Leviticus, the second verse of chapter number twenty. Four, And we see this instruction from the Lord. And you and I could study the tabernacle and it is so full of types and shadows or what we may call symbolism. But it's Old Testament understanding that points to New Testament revelation. Jesus said when he came to those in his day... He said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they, the scriptures, are they which testify of me. Here's what he said in my way of thinking plain English. He said, hey, search the scriptures that you got. Now remember who he was talking to. He was talking to people during his day at the beginning of A.D., the end of B.C., right? They did not have the New Testament scriptures. All that they had was the Old Testament scriptures. And so he was telling them, search the Old Testament scriptures. In those is where you think you have life. They thought that they could follow the law and have life. But he said, what you don't understand, and this is why you need to search the scriptures. All of that Old Testament, if you'll search it. You'll find that it points to me. It testifies about me. It speaks about me. Search the Scriptures, He told them. And so we see in the Old Testament Scripture an understanding that we don't get just by reading the New Testament. But we also search the Old Testament and we realize how great and divine and perfect God's plan is for us. That He would take the time thousands of years before To begin putting things in place so that when he stepped on the scene, everyone should have realized him. You with me? Bear with me. I know this is a bit of a foundation, but I promise you we're going somewhere. And so the tabernacle is filled with these types and shadows and symbolisms that point to Christ. Filled with it. You could probably study the tabernacle mine in your lifetime and not exhaust all the symbolism that is there. There's that much. And so we're going to look at this one thing here today. You shall command the children of Israel. That they bring you pure oil, olive, beaten for the light. To cause the lamp to burn Always. It's a very unique choice of words that's used here. That word pure, speaking of the olive oil. That word pure there means, of course, clean and pure. But it also means unmixed. It should not be mixed with anything else. It should be nothing other than oil from the olive. No, even the Hebrew declares it should be free from any foreign substance. In other words, it should be olive oil and nothing else. If you bought a bottle of it, it would say olive oil on the ingredients, and there would be no other ingredient listed. It's got to be pure. It's got to have no foreign substance. It's got to be unmixed. It's beaten out. It also, what's interesting is that word pure means it, w- it would identify to the Israelites something about the oil that's different than they would get made by just some other means. The fact that the word beaten is used there in the Hebrew tells them that this oil is different from maybe some oil they might use to cook with or something like that, that type of olive oil, or they might use to anoint their forehead if it was hot. This oil was the most costly. The word beaten denote how expensive it is. It's a Hebrew word that's pointed to costly oil. So it wasn't just pure, unmixed, without any foreign substance. It was also pounded fine, is what that word beaten means. It was pounded fine and it was costly. It was that's the oil I want you to bring. And you need to bring it. It's it's for one purpose, it's to go into the candlestick. And if you'd read chapters before in Exodus twenty six, you see the golden candlestick that sits in the holy place. And there this beaten oil is supposed to be put in the candlestick. It's for light. Its purpose is light. You've got to have something to burn. Light doesn't just come in the tabernacle. It's got to have oil. The oil gets burnt. Oil is lit from the fire of the altar of sacrifice. And that fire from the altar of sacrifice is brought to the candlestick where this pure oil is. And the fire from the sacrifice is touched to the pure oil and it begins to burn and it gives light. You with me? This is what he's commanding here. Command the children of Israel to bring me the oil. You got it? I think you do. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We will start there with verse number... 36. Matthew 26 and verse 36 says this. Then comes Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane. Everybody say Gethsemane. He comes to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit you here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be very or be sorrowful and very heavy. Verse 38, Then said he unto them, My soul, everybody say, My soul. I want you to remember that. My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry you here and watch with me. Those words exceeding sorrowful there, it's one of the only places in Scripture that we find it. We find it also in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. He uses the same Greek word, and it's describing the same time, space of time. Mark used the same word, talking about Gethsemane. And it's exceeding sorrowful. He's speaking of a place of emotional depression and stress that is the greatest that can be felt by a human being. It's the only time it's used in Scripture, describing Christ at Gethsemane. It is such a burden that one would desire... Death. That's how sorrowful he was. So when he said my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. He wasn't speaking of Calvary that was coming. He was speaking of what he felt right there in the garden. The sorrow and the weight of sorrow and depression from the Greek. That he felt in that moment had him at the place That he said, I would like to just die here. You ever felt that way? I have. I've been in a place like that. I'm not saying like he did. Don't misunderstand me. Just telling you, I've felt the weight of some things in my life along the journey where i was like, you know what, Lord? If you'd just take me right now, that'd be okay with me. Job got there. Job said, it'd be better if I'd never been born. Why don't you just... Why are you letting me live? Just take me. I I share that so we get a glimpse of a little bit of what Christ felt. He said, my soul. Notice, my soul. The seat of emotion. The seat of feeling. The place where all of my emotion... My soul... My feeling is exceeding sorrowful. All right. 39. He went a little further, and he fell on his face, and he prayed. And we know this prayer, but please hear it with our spirit today. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We sang that song today. I didn't know we were going to sing that song. Thank you, Brother Ethan, for flowing in the Holy Ghost. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40. He comes to the disciples. He finds them asleep. He says to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The Spirit. Everybody say the Spirit. Spirit. The Spirit indeed is willing. But the flesh. Everybody say "The the flesh. The flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. I want you to notice something in that verse that we often miss. His prayer is different this time than it was the first. We often say he prayed the same thing all three times. I've been guilty of saying that. But it was different here than it was the first time. He said, Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. This time, he said, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it. You see what's happening in his prayer? He's going from praying, if it's possible, let it pass. But now he's saying, if the only way for it to pass is me to take it in. If that's the only way it's going to pass, is for me to take it in. Then your will be done. Verse 43. He came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away again, and he prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples, said to them, sleep on now. Take your rest. Behold, the hour's at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed to the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, He's at hand that doth betray me. I know that was a lot of introduction. Let's see if we can move quick now. Every single one of us in our lives, if we're going to do the will of God, if we're going to be used... Fully, by him, for him, and his spirit and word operating in us and through us. We're going to have to go to Gethsemane. We don't get to skip Gethsemane. Now, God will use people that don't go to Gethsemane. You understand? But to be fully used by him. For a conduit for his spirit to flow through and work through and operate in the way he chooses. We have to go to Gethsemane. We can't go around it. I've heard it said in my life that Christ didn't die at Calvary. He died at Gethsemane. Calvary was just the end and i've understood that statement more and more as i've i understand that physically he died on the cross but i've understood the statement of him dying at gethsemane more and more because he died to his own will at gethsemane everything else was just what came after he'd already died to his own will that's why we have to have a gethsemane without gethsemane we'll come off the cross Without Gethsemane, when the cross comes, we'll go like, nah, forget this, this ain't worth it, I'm getting back down. And Jesus said, except a man take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. And so we must have a Gethsemane. And Gethsemane is an interesting place. Gethsemane is not a place of joy. Gethsemane is not a place of excitement. Gethsemane is not a place of, man, I love Gethsemane. It's not a place we want to go visit and hang out. Gethsemane is not a place where even... I mean, Jesus tried to take his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And even what he was dealing with. Even though they went with him, when he got to a certain point, he said, you wait right here. i got to go a little further. What I'm dealing with, i got to get along with God by myself. Even though I I just need to know somebody's close, but I know I've got to do this myself. I know it's comforting to know somebody's near, but there's what I'm dealing with and what I'm going through, what I'm being asked to do. See, Gethsemane, nobody else can go to your Gethsemane with you. They may be able to go part of the way on the journey, but there's some things God may ask of you and ask of me that no one... And so here's the problem with Gethsemane. I look and go, why am I here but no one else? Why do I have to go through this but nobody else? How come their life looks this way but mine? Somebody hear me today. God has a plan for your life and Gethsemane's part of it. Pray with me for a moment right now. we got to pray before we go any further. In the name of Jesus, hear me. Gethsemane is a lonely place. I recognize he was only there a short time in the scope of life, but lonely places can feel like they're an eternity sometimes. It's a lonely place. But you need to understand, he knew he was not alone. Here's the thing about Gethsemane. Gethsemane presses on us. Gethsemane is a breaking of our will. Gethsemane is where we really come face to face with the reality. Do I want the will of God more than my own? I know, well I don't know, but I'm going to assume and guess. That probably every single one of us, almost every single one of us in this room, somewhere along the journey has prayed, Lord, your will, not mine. Help me out. If you've ever prayed that, raise your hand. Look around the room. Almost all of us. Lord, your will, not mine. And I'm not questioning whether we meant it. But usually when I pray, your will, not mine, I may not say it, but in my heart of hearts, I got some conditions there. Are you with me? There's some conditions, Lord. Your will, as long as it's not too uncomfortable for me. Your will, as long as it's not too painful for me. Your will, as long as it doesn't disrupt my plans for life. Your will, as long as it doesn't derail what I'd like to do with my life. Is this too true? We've all prayed this. I'm not, I'm with you right here, trust me. I've prayed that. And in the back of my mind, in my heart, it's, I may not have said that out loud, but there's conditions. Lord, I want what you want as long as it's, you know, I mean, look, let's be honest. How many of us are, Lord, I want to see your will done. And we got these visions of grandeur and the glory of God and the power of God, the demonstration of his spirit flowing and operating and woo, hallelujah, and angels singing and right. Forget Gethsemane, just your will, Lord. Sort of funny, right? But we got to come to terms with this. See, there's this idea that, well, and I've heard it said. I don't agree with it, and I'll share with you why. It's often said, well, if it's the will of God, it'll happen. Well, that's just not true. Okay, that's not true. That's a lie. Don't believe that. If it's the will of God, it will not just happen. Some of you are wrestling with that. Okay, let me help you. Let's use the Scripture. Okay. The Word says, 2 Peter, He, the Lord, is not willing His will. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the word of God. So it's not his will that any perish, but all come to repentance. So I have a question for you. Do people perish and not come to repentance? But it's his will that none perish and all come to repentance. Doesn't his will happen if it's his will? His will doesn't just happen because it's his will. Why? Because he's given you and I and every human being a free will. A free will. And so therefore, his will just happening, he will not force his will on a life. The only way His will is done is when you and I abandon our will recognizing His is greater. The problem is that process of abandoning our will is not comfortable or convenient. It's usually painful and it feels like Death. Because it is. It's dying to myself. Jesus at Gethsemane. I want you to understand. I had you say these things because I wanted you to see it and I wanted you to remember it here. We see at Gethsemane the three elements of will and of man's makeup. We see those there in the garden. We see the soul, the spirit, and the body or the flesh. Notice he said, my soul, feelings, seat of emotions is exceeding sorrowful. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. All three elements of the man, Christ Jesus, all three elements of your and my makeup, body, soul, and spirit, come into place at Gethsemane. Our emotions get torn between the will of the Spirit and the will of our flesh. What the Spirit would desire versus what our flesh is satisfied by. And that's this war in our members is what Paul called it. And so our soul is caught in this place. When you and I go to and go through Gethsemane, I promise you every part of your being, body, soul, and spirit, is going to have to come to terms. Either I'm going to go the way of my flesh, which is weak, or I'm gonna go the way of the Spirit, which is willing, and I've gotta settle it get at Gethsemane. Either I want the will of God or I want my own will, and I'll come to terms with the fact the only way to see the will of God done is to embrace Gethsemane. I have to take it into myself, I have to have it let its work, but I gotta understand because we know the rest of the story. Gethsemane's not the end, it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. You understand, when He died to Himself, the realization of the fullness of His purpose for coming was truly set in motion. He could then go to Calvary and fulfill the will of the Father, thereby saving a world from its sins that would receive the atoning sacrifice. But He had to come to an end of self at Garden of Gethsemane. It's an interesting word that's used When He comes to His disciples in verse 41, He says to them, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. That word temptation there doesn't just mean what you and I would think, like, oh, they're tempted. That word temptation there literally means the condition of things. So that you don't enter into the condition of things or into a mental state by which we are enticed to sin Or to lapse or walk away from the faith and from holiness. When you're at Gethsemane, he's telling them, you got to watch and pray. Because otherwise, this place called Gethsemane, this place of pressing on you, what's going to happen is you'll be tempted to walk away. You'll be tempted not just to walk away from Gethsemane. You'll be tempted to walk away from the faith. I know what the word of the Lord is saying here today. And I know because if we've lived any length of time for God at all, we face this in some way or measure like, man, Lord, I don't know if this is all worth it or not. I, if living for you feels like right, this is the deception. If living for you feels like this, I think I want to go a different way. Not understanding there's something beyond Gethsemane. There's something beyond. It's part of his process to bring us to an end of ourself. It's a crushing that takes place, but what happens is our human, and this is why the soul, the spirit, and the body understanding that all those elements are at play, it matter, and why we must stay in tune with the spirit of God and His will. If that's truly what we want to see done, otherwise, our flesh is going to go. Hold on, look at the condition of things. My mind's getting bombarded by all this. Why am I enduring this? If I'm following after you, Lord, I want your man. I got to get out of this. And that word temptation means. That I get enticed to leave the faith or at a minimum leave holiness, which is separation unto God. Let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand because I probably know the answer anyway because you're human like I am. How many of you have ever... Well, maybe you can raise your hand. it would be okay. How many of you have ever been going through like a really tough time where you feel like you're just getting pressed on and waited on? And you're like, man, you know what? I, I just need to go shopping. Now, my hand's not up. I don't feel that way, but Brother Jerry's, no. No, real seriously, honestly, raise your hand. You ever, like, I just need to go shopping, right? Okay, put your hand down. How many of you ever, like, you're going through something, like, like, this, just this pressing, this weight, and you're like, man, I just need to go eat. Yeah, that's where my hand's at, right? I, just, I need to eat something, right? Okay. What is that? What is that? I need to do something to satisfy my flesh. I got to do something to make my flesh feel better. You can't tell me like going shopping and and going and finding all these snacks and foods to eat is the spirit. (laughs) You with me? No, we need to see that so we understand this correlation here. Right? This is what happens. Our, this is body, soul, and spirit. And so especially while you find somebody that's battling depression, a heavy weight of depression, and again, the Greek word that was used the way Christ felt, he just, depression is when it feels like there's no hope. That's what Gethsemane can feel like. There's no hope. But we know the rest of the story. The Lord is wanting to help somebody today. There's hope. Your Gethsemane is not permanent. But it's purposeful. It's not permanent, but it's purposeful. It's purposeful. And so don't leave the faith. What happens at Gethsemane? I'll tell you what happens. I think I'm just going to separate myself a little bit. I, I just don't want to be around people right now. I just don't. Brother Martin was talking about connecting. I don't want to be connected to the body right now. I, don't wanna, I just want to get by my, Gethsemane. While it's lonely and isolated, it doesn't mean I need to isolate. No one can relate to where I am, but it doesn't mean I need to get away from everybody and not try to stay connected. That's the deception of the adversary. Okay, this is what Jesus was saying when he said, watch and pray that you enter temptation at Gethsemane. There is this temptation to pull away. There's this temptation to separate even. And you don't realize separating from the body is separating from God, the separate body of Christ. And so there's this temptation at Gethsemane to separate. And then before you know it, you separate not just from the Lord, you separate to sin. And then you're leaving the faith. And he said, this happens at Gethsemane. We have it in the word of God. This comes when, and Gethsemane is serving God's purpose. But the adversary seeks to use it. If I can destroy them here, I can keep them from the fulfillment that comes beyond Gethsemane. Someone hear me. There's a place beyond Gethsemane where God is glorified in your life and mine. Don't leave. Don't quit. Don't walk. Trust him. He's there and he knows what he's doing. He's got a purpose. Watch. I know you guys are still going, why do we read Exodus and Leviticus? Here's why. Gethsemane means oil press. Oil press. Gethsemane was an olive vineyard. It was a garden filled with olive trees. And so Gethsemane was called. The oil press. Gethsemane is where. The olives were crushed. They were beaten and pressed. To make the oil. Gethsemane's the place. Where pure oil, olive beaten. Is produced. Gethsemane's the place where there's nothing foreign mixed in. Anything foreign is strained or pressed out. Any substance that's not of him is removed and pressed away, and there's only pure oil, olive. And the oil that comes from Gethsemane is costly. See, that's why many won't go. It's not without cost. Gethsemane is the oil press. And if you and I. I'm praying that somehow God is getting this into our spirits. If you and I will allow Gethsemane to have its work. There is pure. Olive oil. That will be pressed out of your pain. That will be used with clear and divine purpose. And the purpose is simple. That the light would burn always. That the light would burn always. Hear me. It. Won't happen without Gethsemane. I'm sorry. I mean, I really am. I. There's no joy out of watching someone go through stuff. You understand? Can I just be real with you? There's days I'm here when it's empty. And so now, because we—if you don't get here in time, you don't get your pew right. I know you have your place you sit. But still, yet, you, many of you, you have your place that you sit. Right? We're creatures of habit. And that's okay. There's times I'm here when nobody's here. And you'll be on my heart or my mind, and I'll go to the place you sit. And I feel the weight of your olive press. I really do. Oh, maybe not completely. I'm not going through what you're going through. But I don't know, maybe it's silly, but me sitting in your pew, if you will. Just talking to the Lord while I'm sitting there. I seem to somehow identify in some way. With the press that's on your life. And there's a part of me that's as human as you. A large part of me. That when I'm talking to the Lord about it, what I want to do is I I want to pray you out of it. Does that make sense? I do. There's no joy in watching somebody be crushed. That's what an oil press does, you understand. It crushes the olive. It seems like, why would you, what do you do with the olive? It's all about the oil. Somebody hear me. It's all about the oil. And sometimes the Lord lets me pray. For your circumstances to change. And sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes I can only pray. God, give them the strength not to get out of the press. To remain there and allow Gethsemane to have its work. Because there's oil. There's precious, pure, beaten olive oil. And it's going to burn bright. It's purposeful. Purposeful. Watch. I'll hurry and finish. Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. It's interesting to me. We won't read it today for sake of time. Obviously, we were reading about Gethsemane in Matthew twenty six. You could go back to Matthew 25, the chapter before, which, by the way, was just two days before Gethsemane. We know that from reading the Scripture, that Matthew 25 was just a couple of days before Gethsemane. It was just two days before that Jesus was sharing the story of the ten virgins. Five wise, five foolish. And the bridegroom came, and the foolish ones were out of oil. And they didn't enter in. Matthew 5 verse 14. You are the light of the world. Isn't that wonderful? You are the light of the world. Anybody want to be the light of the world? Yep. Look at your neighbor and say, light takes oil. Look at him again and say, no oil, no light. Yeah. Light takes oil. You are the light of the world. You're a city that's set on a hill. You cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. That word candlestick there, candlestick is what they called that element filled with oil in the tabernacle. It was the candlestick that was filled with oil. The candle that's lit put on the candlestick. And it gives light to all that are in the house. And I feel the Holy Ghost for somebody right now. Somebody listen to me. Your Gethsemane and the oil produced out of your life is bigger than yourself. And the light that will be produced is bigger than just for you. It will bring light to your whole house. It will bring light to your family. It will be light to those you come in contact with. Your Gethsemane is greater than you. The crushing and the purpose it will serve and what it will produce through your life is so that he can shine a light to many It gives light to all that are in the house. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Would you stand with me today? In Jesus' name, I'm opening this altar to you. I've shared with you what I believe God has given me to share with you. Gethsemane has a purpose. It produces oil. And oil is needful for light. And for us to truly be the light of the world. Gethsemane is the only way. For him to be glorified. Gethsemane is the only way. Would you find a place of prayer today and talk with the Lord? He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Listen to me while you're finding this place of prayer. I want you to notice something about Gethsemane. The Lord will use circumstances. He will use people to crush us. That's what makes Gethsemane such a challenge is he'll use people and circumstances. Sometimes those things closest to us to crush us. But here's what you have to know about Gethsemane. We see more of Jesus humanity at Gethsemane than any other place in Scripture. Gethsemane is the only place where we find that Jesus wrestled with His human will. You understand? All the other time He said, I just do what the Father tells me to do. I just say what the Father tells me to say. But at Gethsemane, He wrestled with His human will. Because of what He was going through, we see His humanity more than we ever saw it. You want to find out what will bring mine and your humanity to the surface more than anything? Gethsemane and that's what it's supposed to do. It reveals my humanity and I'm going to determine am I going to give in to my flesh and my humanity? Or am I going to go the will of the Father and allow this crushing to take place? Because my humanity wants to rise up when I'm being crushed. My humanity wants to strike out at those that he's using to crush me. My humanity wants to prove my rightness and my innocence when I'm being pressed at Gethsemane. But Gethsemane has a purpose. Embrace it. Lord, I'll take it in. Let it have its work in me. The oil is more important than me living. The oil is more important. Come on, you are the light of the world. You are designed and destined to be the light of the world. You and I were framed and made to be the light of the world. But it requires the oil that only comes through Gethsemane. How do you know you're in a place like Gethsemane? I'll tell you how you know. Your flesh starts rising up. Your humanity starts revealing itself. Those things that you were keeping under the surface, when you start getting pressed, they come to the surface. And you're either going to give in to your humanity or you're going to yield to the will of the Father. The flesh is weak, but the spirit's willing. Jesus, do the work. Jesus, do the work. Jesus, do the work. Come on, the end, result, the end result is oil and light. The end result is what you and I have been praying for. Come on, it's what we've been praying for. God, work through me, shine through me, flow through me use me. He's saying, okay, this is my process. And he's trying to give us a little understanding today so we don't become bitter. He's given us some understanding today so we don't become wounded in our spirit. He's given us understanding today so we recognize he's not punishing me. He loves me and he wants to use me. Let Gethsemane have its work in me, Lord. Let Gethsemane have its work in me, Lord.